podcast world, Cabin Studios. Welcome to another episode of The Value, the show for those of you seeking to build businesses that are scalable, investable, and highly valuable. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and today we want to talk about sales. Because as today's guest says, nothing happens until a sale is made. Jared Best Mitchell is a sales consultant who's been in the sales industry since 2006. He's worked with brands such as Nokia, Digicel, Samsung, Microsoft, Sagico, Guardian Life Flow, and many more. He's trained hundreds of sales professionals on current sales techniques, how to use LinkedIn, how to create content, and the art of social selling. He also specializes in helping professionals, entrepreneurs, and C-level executives to optimize their profile and presence on the LinkedIn professional networking platform. Jared has generated over 2 million organic views of his content in the past 22 months. So Jared knows what he's doing. Jared is the man to talk about this. And this conversation is long overdue. Jared, how are you doing? I am very good, my friend. How are things on your end? Things are good. Things are good. Listen, I... I have one yellow t-shirt in my in my closet and I put it on just to come and talk to you because, <laughs> because I know you you are the yellow man. I tell you, that's the influence I have on people now. Like I feel so glad that my love for this color, because people always say it's my brand color. And I, I have to explain to people, no, I wear it 24-7, 365. I wear nothing else but yellow. Like I see, like it's not to knock anybody. I see some people who pick yellow as their brand color. It's to pick it because that's the end thing. No. I only wear this. My everybody who knows me know I only wear this. Like that's it. Hands up. It's the best thing of any world. Shout out to my 30-something pairs of yellow sneakers. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. But you know, like they, they say that colors speak to people's personality types and whatnot. And like growing up as young children, they, you know, a lot of people might a lot of boys might like, okay, I like blue, I like red because I'm daring or whatever it is. Girls might like pink and purple or, yep. or what have you. You know, so I understand that yellow's been your favorite color since you were five years old. Like, what is it about yellow? Because I don't know, not everybody does sees yellow. I'm like, ah, that's my color. So here's the background story behind it, right? When I went into Roji Boys Primary School, the first house they put me in was Savio. Savio was yellow. And I said, that's my favorite color. So throughout the years, it's always been my favorite color. I really Savio, took it up on... Know, Savio was blue in my school. Yeah. And Aquinas was yellow. That's funny. So what is interesting is that over the years... I wouldn't have worn yellow all the time. It really took full more when I was say like when I was in my 30s, because I'm gonna be 40 this year. And I'd, like if I was working for a company, I'd wear other clothes because I, I love colors. But once I was going out, I would only wear yellow. So my friends knew that. That's so like, and then I'll always give credit to this person. There's a lady online called Ella London. If you think I like yellow, the only thing that's not yellow in her house is the walls. She has yellow Christmas trees, plates, everything is yellow. Everything else is everything is yellow. And I, when I saw her post and people st- and like she spoke about why she liked it and, and what she does, I said, I'm not being serious about something that I love. And I find when they're addicted to one thing, it kind of just expands into everything when they get passionate about it. And for example, when I work for companies, I get very passionate about their product. I get very passionate about the competitors. I get really ingrained into the company and that's what I want to do with the yellow. So I started to focus on it even more. And then that transition happened like right when I was leaving the corporate world. So the joke I make with people now is that I'm fortunate where I work for myself and my boss says I have to wear yellow every day. Hmm. So 
it's it's a lovely journey, something I would never give up. And you could kidnap me very easily if it is that you just put yellow yellow shoes on a van. I would go straight into the van. I won't even ask questions. <laughs> wow, that's funny. That's funny. And oh, last one. And then if I yeah. if I have a, if I have one child, or if I have another child, and it's a boy, his name will be Savio because that was the house in primary school. And my wife can't fight me because it's a Christian name. It's a same name, so I'm good. I'm safe. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So you know they they say that many like the salesman is a certain personality type, that kind of extroverted, very social sort of personality. I mean, I want to I want to know. I'm curious. How were you growing up? Were you always that outspoken kid? Yeah. Or were you always? Yeah? So like, funny enough, I was going through the the CIC assessment book, and like I was going through all the comments from form one till form five, and it always says. Something along the lines of talk too much, talk too much, talk too much, talk too much. And it was just so funny. Like, I was always the person, um, and I know you were, you were like a year or two years under me, right? Uh, no, I'm 36 now, so I'm yeah, yeah. three years. Three years, three right. Years, yeah. So for me, the kind of person I was, I was the one who used to with everybody. And then, like, you know, some people just time with a certain group. No, I used to with everybody. They didn't care. Rich, Indian, black, black, I used to with everybody. So much so, I always remember there was a time when I missed a day of school. And I am I am walking into school with the excuse, with the letter from my mom saying, "Hey, please excuse Jared for being sick." Mister Joseph comes out and says, "Mister right. Child, we had to see a body fight yesterday. Check me. This this is a letter from my mother saying I was sick. <laughs> no, no, no. Everybody say it was best and his friends because that that used to happen all the time. Best and his friends was in a fight. I was like, no, no, no. This is a letter from my mother. You could call her. I was sick, right? And then the only time I was ever embarrassed in life." Which again shows like just how much how much things I did, and and I won't play it in a negative way. Like I just used to be around and everybody. When I was, I didn't get into form six, there's usually a meeting like the final meeting before CXE, and I could talk to the dean etc. My mom missed the meeting, so the day after she went to meet Mister Labastide, and she asked Mister Labastide, "Hey, what does Jack have to do to get into form six? And Labastide said, "Jack can get all ones and an E, and we still won't let him back in." And then proceed. Yes. To pull out a book, <laughs> like check like this, and pulls out a book and saying, right, so this is all the stuff that we have documented that Jared has done, like from Form 1. Then takes another book, which came from Convent next door. And I'm like, yo, no, <laughs> no, no. You no. book in Convent? <laughs> Listen, I pause. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, let me explain. I know of all these things happening. I was not involved in it, but I know it. And he told my mother, Listen, Jared is the project manager, coordinator, orchestrator. Anything that goes on in the school, you could bet your bottom dollar Jared is in it. And I'm just there like, yo, that is that is accurate, but false at the same time. I was like, that is false. I would know about it, but I most times I wasn't involved. But I think that is a testament to how I just I just used to be around people. I just used to enjoy having interactions with people. And that formed into what I'm doing now today, because I just love interacting with people on all different levels. Well, even but even um in addition to that, yeah, I know you you had a, a comedy stint. Yeah. You had a couple of years of um, doing some stand-up comedy. So the comedy stint, I think, added so well to my ability to ad-lib because when I'm doing training for clients, the thing that amazes a lot of clients is my ability to paraphrase and create like scripts and stuff on the fly, like on the spot. And everybody's like, oh my God, that that's perfect. How do you do that? And I'm like, only because I was able to do stand-up comedy. And so to talk to an audience who I do not know is quite okay because the, and, and again, this goes to what you could do in sales 
I do a lot of preparation. I never go on the fly. Preparation and knowledge is like super key. I don't, I don't wing it, which is which is part goes into like some of my irritation today with a lot of people in sales who do not do research before interacting with prospects. So I love the fact that when we were talking before we went on, like the amount of research and stuff you did, because to me that is excellent. Like I, I like that because it gives good context and it speeds ahead. So instead of asking the obvious stuff, you can put the obvious stuff into context of what you want to find out. So for me, exactly. that that sense of doing comedy was absolutely amazing. And I would say sadly enough, it's like a switch. So it's off right now. And like I'm only focused on like work, but I love work. I love it. It's the best thing ever. Yeah, I was looking at some of your old um, comedy videos and stuff. <laughs> I don't think people, I don't think people, we have too much cancer culture these days and people sensitive to, yeah. to post them kind of things again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you used to really speak your mind or you want to use swear words on, let me swear, curse words on. on all those. <laughs> yeah, you use curse words or swear words. It's the best thing ever, but as I say, the style of yeah. jokes, I don't think people would have want to. So, and, and for those of you listening, if you haven't checked it out, all my jokes, is, a lot of my jokes is either racist or blasphemous. That was it. And it would be like Rose Company style, like what you see in the, in the US. And I, I, I don't do Larry Joseph jokes. No. Uh, not No Randy Glasgow show jokes. No. It is proper, serious stand-up comedy. I was gratefully mentored by Rachel Price, who to me is one of the greatest comedians ever to grace Trinidad and Tobago. And I learned so much of her from when I was doing the stand-up because she's the one who, who brought me on. And as I say, I take all those learnings to everything that I do today. Yeah, I didn't know that Rachel Price mentioned you. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. She, but when it was 51 Degrees, she did the competition. She was the one who was, remember, she used to be headlining 51 Degrees, I think every Tuesday, every night, and she did the competition. And when I won, she took me under her wing, mentored me, showed me all the different things, helped me practice, helped me craft and everything in terms of what I was doing. And I, I, I always give her credit for that. So she really helped me craft that skill. All right. So, I mean, we have that, <laughs> we have that. So we have that, that whole persona of you laid out there, right? outspoken likes not daring in terms of like to tell those daring jokes don't care about what people think you know you're just speaking your mind freely and all of that all right tell me about that your first foray into a sales job i believe it was at digicel yeah it's digicel so funny enough i started in digicel in retail and then i went into corporate so corporate is why i say i really took it serious but was interested in the transition that was like my first sales because I sold myself for the company and I sold it under an exceptional circumstance. Because there was a rule in Digicel at that point in time that corporate cannot take retail staff. Because apparently they, they, it was a rule that was set before. And what happened was that when I was in the interview, I impressed them so much. I just, and you know, they keep seeing signs of things happening, like it progressing and going in your way. So like first and foremost, I remember sitting on waiting to be interviewed. Another guy was sitting next to me. And like, he was talking about all the stuff, you know, my degree, et cetera. And I'm like, no, bro. And, and in my mind, I was like, no, bro, you're not getting this job. Like, and I'll talk about that mindset thing of talking positive to yourself. I was like, this job is mine, you're not getting it. So I went into the interview. It started off with my direct manager interviewing me. Then it went into the sales director interviewing me. Then came the HR director in the space of like 30 minutes. And then the HR director and the sales, and the sales director watch each other and say, right, so... Call Richard and tell Richard we taking Jared. Like we'll figure out, we'll we'll talk about the rule and the issue after. And I just hear pick up the phone, yo, and they hear it on the background. Yo, Richard, we interviewing this guy Jared who can too be gonna hire him. And they hear him curl. Yeah, Richard, that is good. I understand. Talk to HR. Click, and they just focus on me mm-hmm. and and they offer me the job on the spot. Wow. And that was my first foray into sales. I sold myself, and 
that the five years that I spent in Digicel, I think was, and it will still be the best years of my life because it set the foundation of what I do in sales. And a lot of people hate on Digicel now and I have to give them the context. Digicel is the best book company world for any career that you're trying to excel in. You could go in there for any two, career. any career. You could go in there for two, three years and you could go in any other job and you would laugh in the other jobs. A lot of past Digicel employees working for Google, Amazon, AWS. And if you ask them, is it stressful compared to Digicel? And they will tell you no. It is that different. I remember when I went, so like I spent time in Digicel, I learned and I craft myself. And by the way, I didn't, I was not like a great salesperson of the Batia folks. Like my first three, four months, I was barely doing any sales. I was doing calls and getting rejections. But all I started doing, and there's one of the sales lessons they could take away. I learned, I adapted, and I kept asking questions. That's all I did. So I entered Digicel as the as a business sales executive. When I left, which was in 2011, which is around June, I was in charge of the public sector and I was growing it by about 20% per month, which back at that time was when we were fiercely competing against B-Mobile. And I was still growing it because all I did was that I figured out one area that B-Mobile wasn't covering. Because at that point in time, they always tell you, remember they would say government not switching, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Government managers don't switch your account. But government was playing plenty stipends and cash to staff. I took all those things and converted it to Digicel. That was my foray in terms of understanding and crafting in terms of what I was doing. And even on the last day, like the last day when I was working there, after I resigned, I actually closed a deal. I was like 130% of my target. And my boss asked me like, why I leave? And I'm like, for that same reason, because it's too predictable now. And that, that's my other fun part. It was too easy. I, yeah, too easy. I like I go into interviews now and I tell companies and I told my bosses when I was in Samsung and I said it this way. I was like, if you do not entertain me, I would leave. I was like, so please find stuff. And six months into the job, I we was on a call and he's like, I know you're getting bored, but I'm going to find stuff. And I'm like, tell me what you don't like to do and I'll do it for you. There must be a report you don't like doing. Let me do that. So yeah. Excellent track record. I mean, what you described, there was a great track record in sales, especially in the tech and telecom space. I just want to go back really quick yeah. into that mindset going into the interview, because I think think that's important, where you're able to decipher from that from your competition, where you said, hey, I have a degree, this job is mine. And you say, eh, yeah, you lost already. Yeah. Tell me about that, that those, those um, computer mindset. And by the way, in my sales training, I only I teach mindset first. I talk about mindset and I do several activities. So something here, and there's something new I'm adding on to it. So I think you would love this too. I don't know if you ever interviewed this person from um, Jamaica, Naomi Garrick. She inspired this. Oh, Naomi. Yeah. Okay. So here's what happened. She did a post and she spoke about the fact of you have to speak positive to yourself. A lot of people don't. So that's the first mindset fact. I actually do not use the words try and hope. I hate those words. I think they're negative words in sales. Because to me, mm-hmm. and I always like to visualize it, I want to try and hit target. It's a doubt who it is. Doubt yourself. Try me to think something going to happen. I'll stop you. No, I'm going to hit target. And it's honestly my wife that made me realize this. And at the time is when we were dating. I was moving up my house. I was looking for an apartment. Found one that was finally good. It was like 90% complete because it was under construction. And... Mm-hmm. I remember sitting on the car after I showed my wife and I met the landlord. And all she said was, say it. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, say it. I was like, I don't, I don't understand. She's like, you're the only person I've met when they want something and you say it, all of a sudden, you get it. That's how strong my mindset is. So this little piece of paper I'm holding up here, 
not only do I write all the goals that I want to achieve, this is my new thing I've added where I write down what I want customers to tell me. So this is all the positive stuff. We have the budget. Let's do this. Can you can you be a keynote speaker? How soon can we start the training? We have your flight and hotel book. Our recruiter reach out to me on my LinkedIn profile. Things that you, like anything positive that you want people to tell you, that's what I have on it. And I have sixteen things listed here. Yeah, your mind is really is a really really powerful thing for real. And it's so important in sales because here's the reason why, right? Like your mindset has to be tough in sales because you're gonna get a lot of no's to get to the yeses. And the only reason why I, I could testify of why the mindset needs to be powerful is that last year, I made a mistake, but it was a good thing, of introducing my wife to how my pipeline works. That She can't take that stress because it's a roller coaster. Because remember, it's like I had a deal last year. It was my biggest deal. It was literally at the finish line. I'm talking about touch cross the finish line and the deal fell through. It when that happens, yeah. yeah. Been there. And it was my biggest deal today. It was six figures. So for that to fall, Charles, literally... Six figures US or six figures TT? Six figures TT. Okay. So for that to fall, Charles, literally like, thank God my pipeline, <laughs> thank God yeah. my pipeline was good and I, could, I, I recovered about 60% of it, but it was still hurting and there's a deal that's working on that will probably start in Q1 of this year. But my wife can take it and like, talk about sales. Like, this is so important for everybody. Like, you have to get your mindset right. You cannot be thinking negative. Negativity does not work and sales it compounds so fast it will overtake you and you would lose you have to like focus on the positive so what i want to differentiate right now at this time because i think it might be easy to confuse a determined mindset with an entitled mindset right right so one can argue that the gentleman who had who had a degree and everything getting ready for the job say i have a degree this man doesn't this job is mine entitlement while you say hey i hungry for this. I know I could do this job. This job is mine. Determination. How do you be careful not to fall into that entitlement space, especially as people are, as people are just upskilling, upskilling, get no sort of uh, all sort of um, qualifications, online this and all that. How do we ensure that we stay on the determined versus entitled? Just stay humble. That's the only thing I could recommend. It, and I, there were periods in my sales career when I let my ego get the best of me. I had, to, I had thank God my best friend watched me at the end and say, yo, you get on like an asshole. Mm. Thank God. I always remember that moment. My best friend David told me, he's like, dog, you get on like an asshole. He's like, you can't get on like that to these people. These, you need these people. So you need to, you need to be humble. You need, you always need to be humble. And it was somewhere, I think due to the fact that I don't have a degree, I don't plan on getting a degree, no knocking on anybody because there's no degree really in sales. There are lots of great courses you could take. But I think because of that, that adds to me being very determined to make sure I could get everything that I want in life using the skills that I'm acquiring. Yeah, and as you think, right? So, I mean, at the top of this, this um, interview, I mentioned, and I quoted you, nothing happens until a sale is made, right? And I mean, I, I will tell people all the time, you know, if one skill you want to make sure you have is selling skills. Once you once you could sell, you'll, you'll always be fed. You'll always eat. You'll never go hungry. You know, because every business needs a salesperson. Can I know? add one thing to that, though? You could add whatever you I want, I would man. always say in the past, the most important skill to learn is sales. I would honestly say that. I'm going to add another one to it for, 20, for, for this year and tell people, the other skill, the other ability you need to create is your personal brand. Because mm. I cannot tell... I, I love how we get into that. Yeah, because... When I transitioned from corporate into entrepreneurship, if I wasn't posting consistently on LinkedIn and crafting my brand and getting people to know who I am, I wouldn't have been able to transition as successfully as I did. 
That mm. yeah, dog. You know the books. You know, you know the book self. Yeah, you boss know the book self. Yeah. The boss lady. I have to my friend Terry Carroll every time. Listen. So to me, yeah. that day is what I think was my saving grace, and I think it opened so many doors. You know, especially now in the kind of world that we live in, because like. I have past clients. I just was talking to one of my past clients, a guy named Darren Jacobs. He's an insurance advisor. 100% of his business is inbound from TikTok. And he's MDRT. Yeah. Million dollar round table. Nice. So top performing, 100% inbound from TikTok. He don't want to do nothing. I love that. I would, I would love to get into that into a later segment, especially in the insurance agency, because insurance business where people are known as those hard sellers, right? Cold calling, hard sales. Hey, give me, refer four people. Let me go and let me go and hard sell them. Uh, thing. I realize that's not your style. No, at all. I actually specialize in a lot of training for the for the insurance sector. And I and I knock. So here's the problem. Don't hate an insurance advisor. Hate the people who train them. The training is the problem. Every insurance company trainer to me goes training the insurance advisors wrong because they don't understand how buyers want to buy today. What Darren Jacobs and I got another guy called Javon Feldman, which are both from Statue doing is how people want to buy today. And I mean, across all ages, because you're my heavy say Darren Jacobs, TikTok, all oh, these young people. Okay, cool. His audience of buyers is 35 to 55. So smoke on that for a bit. It's not no young people thing. All ages are across on social media now. It's just that nobody's take. And by the way, if you want to learn how to sell, just spend time understanding a buyer. Understand, like, so as I said, when you talk about ID clan profile and all these things, if you know who you want to who you want to sell to, sit down with them and pay for their time and say, I want to understand how do you buy products like mine? What gets you to that decision to say, oh, I want to buy this and then duplicate that effort? That's what you need to do because that's what buyers want. That's how buyers buy. We want as much information as we can so we can decide how and when we want to buy. And if you try to gate that or you try to use your old school techniques, you're just turning off people. You know, I was in this business accelerator back in 2020 to 2021. And yeah, they dr- very much drilled down into understanding your target customer, understanding their problems or whatnot. They even gave you a list of 10 questions to ask your target customers to really get a deeper understanding. I'm just going to quote those 10 questions now. Yeah. You know, luckily I just had this up open randomly. <laughs> One, what would you say are your top three problems? Right. Right. What are your top three problems? Two, what stresses you out? Right. Of course, as it relates to you know that particular service that I can add value to. Number three, if you could just have a break from something, what would that be? Right. Right. If you could have a break from something, what would that be? Number four, if you find yourself worrying, what is it about? Number five, if you could fix one thing in your life or in your business, what would that be? Number six, what do you wish you had more of? Number seven, what do you wish you had less of? (laughs) (laughs) Number eight, as you think about where you want to be in life or in business, why don't you already have it? Interesting questions. I like them. And number nine, and the last one, if funding was not a problem, what would be the first thing you would invest in for your business or for your life? Good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I would have asked a bunch of people those questions or people who I classify to be within my target market. And from there, that's how I was able to, to re- refocus my business. 
You know, so you would have noticed around that time when he's there's when you see hey, Kevin Sands a post more boy. That's you see in articles and videos and, and all you're doing is taking and, those questions. And by the way, you can take all those questions and convert it into content because here's something I always tell people, right? And again, there's a single step. If you are being asked a question by a customer, I promise to you, I swear to you on the life of my child, there are a hundred other people asking that same question. And you want to put out content on it because you can't talk to a hundred people, but your content can. Yes. Back to what he mentioned, 2022, I did 1.2 million views organically of my content on LinkedIn. That is unboosted. That is just organic. That's for my audience, my community. I cannot talk to 1.2 million people. Mm -hmm. So trust yeah. me, whatever your business is, you have to create the content to get this message out. Can I add a couple of things though? Every single question, you what you want. every single question I would ask, I like to delve into it more. And actually, I was reading it in one of the last books, not here in my, in my living room. It's something called Demand Side Sales Demand Side Sales or something like that. And they mentioned in the book the Toyota method, which is always asking five whys or the five W's and the how. So for me, I I like to ask people like let's just say for example, if a company approaches me, hey Jarb, you wanted to get sales training, why? Like that's my first question, why? Well, no, 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 and it's always give a shallow answer. I'd be like, okay, well, why? What, what do you want to get out of that? What? So, okay, that's the problem. If that's solved, what next? And you just have to drill deeper because the thing is, the more questions you ask, the more value you can actually provide. Because a lot of times, customers, and here's the thing: because you are the expert selling the product, even though you have never sold any before, you're the expert because you have created a product or service. You are an expert. A lot of people who try to get their problems solved actually don't understand what they need to get their problems solved. If you don't ask the right questions, then you cannot get to the actual core of what the issue is. So you have to, you cannot, you should never ever take the first question from a customer, especially if you have a complex product, never take the first answer from the customers what the problem is. You have to always dig deeper. Because a lot of times they, what they listen is symptoms and not the core problem. Yeah, and sometimes they are no longer aware. Like a lot of times when I'm on phone calls, I, I make people realize, oh, well, based on the problem, like that's the actual problem. Like last time you was talking to a company, their problem wasn't the fact that it's how their team selling. There wasn't a fan of how the team selling. Well, again, to be more consultative, that wasn't the issue. The issue was they're trying to convert their pipeline from being products to monthly recurring revenue. The team can't do that. I was like, that is the specific problem. And now we drill it down and then we understood that what they're trying to do is create $2 million in recurring revenue every month. Now we understand what you're trying to do and how you want the team to impact it. But if you took it from the first level answer, the team not the team don't know how to sell or we don't do basic training. I can't do that. Because hmm. I know that's not the problem. You know, people, so people listening to this podcast episode up until this point, they're thinking, all right, so this guy, Jared, he's been extra with it since he's a child. He's done comedy he's had all these sales jobs and everything he had that he has that quote-unquote hustlers mentality that oh, let, let, sorry that determination i really love determination it. i like hustler yeah 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 i know yeah i can't i didn't feel good saying it either. yeah <laughs> right so he has that highly determined mindset and everything and yeah he's willing to to jump on linkedin and put a video every day Right, and he he's willing to take the time to put out personal brand and everything. And people also listening, thinking, also thinking, hey, all those questions Kevin talking about and having all these conversations with clients. What about introverted me listening to this podcast who still wants to get some sales done? Like, how do I evolve myself or 
at least put myself into that mindset of a salesperson, which I already have a, a somewhat negative connotation about, and and be able to execute on these things. So I could grow my my personal brand. I could grow my business. You know, I could, or I could even help the company I'm working for. I could get a promotion. I could give it to, I'll give you two stories to give you what to help you all understand. So number one, you do not need to be extroverted to be a salesperson. I'm also of the strong theory that if you're an engineer, you can make a great salesperson for the only reason that engineers follow process and sales is yeah. not a winged thing. These most successful people in sales follow a process. Engineers, because by the way, Darren Jacobs, the successful insurance guy is an engineer. Mm-hmm. And when, yeah. when I understood what this process was, he literally tweaked what he learned to get the performance that he desired. That's all he did. So back to the original story, the greatest salesperson I have ever met, ever, who's still one of my good friends to this day is when I was in Digicel, was a fellow named Shazad Jahu. He's now a, Shazad is probably your age 36 and is a high level group manager in Flow, mm-hmm. right? Shazad. Let's just say if my target was 100 and I was doing like 120, anything like normal, it had me and two other guys, Randy and then Shazad. Me and Randy were sitting that 120 like normal. Shazad is the most quietest, humblest fellow ever meet. Shazad used to knock out 300 every month, like clockwork, without batting an eye. I, and again, be humble because I went with Shazad on the road a day. To say, Shazad, I need to figure out what you're doing because I want 300. I like 120, but I want 300. I went on the road. Shazad was mechanical. Out the house by seven to do all his meetings, back by two to confirm the rest of the meetings and to follow up and to put, and to put through paperwork. And he was swift with it. And all I said was, because you know me, I have a very short attention span as you could tell and speak quickly with everything. I was like, Shazad, I can't do that, you know. I could do some, but I can't do all. And Shazad is one of the greatest salespeople I've ever met. It's never, ever, ever anything to do with if you're introverted or extroverted. It's who could actually follow the process that actually works to get the customer to buy. And if you understand that, you'll know how to sell. So into the next story now, if you are an introverted person, but you have a great product or service, then just hire a salesperson. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Because, and here's the logic. No, but here's the logic, though. Oh, I don't have the money for that. Or you do because the salesperson will bring the money in for you. And if you're thinking, well, I have to pay a salesperson, cool. You rather zero dollars or some dollars. <laughs> you work out the math for a lot of people. And by the way, yes, I put out a lot of video, but here's the reason why. Video is the fastest way to build trust and authority with strangers. Yeah. That's the only reason why I do it. And again, if you look at every social media platform, they're only focused on audio and video. Nobody's focusing on pictures. Oh, so here's the thing. Yes, the best type of performing content on LinkedIn right now is like text and image, text with an image, like an image as context situation. I can tell you from what I've seen from every top creator on LinkedIn, they're focusing more on video this year. So you're seeing it. You're, what length of video? Like 90 second video or like here's my... If you have a video? good message, it doesn't matter the length. However, if you, if you just want to make sure put out stuff so you can just be consistent, 30 to 45 seconds is a great time frame. And think about it this way. Some, look at your content as a loaf of bread and don't feed people an entire loaf. Give them breadcrumbs. Write out what you want to talk about and then, okay, let's talk about, let's speak on this paragraph alone. I see too many people trying to do three topics in one, in one LinkedIn video. No, just focus on one topic and that's it. That's it. Yeah. Keep it simple. So yeah, so hire somebody to do it for you if it is that you're introverted. If you're genuinely scared of talking to people, hire somebody. 
If it is that you're just introverted, it honestly could just mean that you need a process. That's how introverts are. I just need a process. And then because it's timely, introverts get that social burnout. So that means just dedicate an hour to doing it, recharge your batteries, and then do it the next day or do it the day after. What is your preparation like in terms of... All right, so I want to ask you in terms of preparing, I guess, preparing your content, but also just I want to close off that, that chapter on actually approaching a sales call or sales meeting, right? Right. Or, or client prospecting. What is your process in terms of, I guess, even identifying who your ideal client profile is, your ICP is? Right. And actually taking that point from, taking it from identification to deal closure. So, all right, let's put it this way. I'll put it in this example. 95% of my business is inbound. So I, I don't do much prospecting. What I right. do, though, however, is a fantastic initial outreach to people who reach out to me. That's how I actually convert people a lot of the times. But for anybody here who has a product or service, here's the first thing you need to do. Go to your competitors page, the people who already have established, and look at the customers and the type of people who are interacting with their business. That's how you find your ICP, right? Mm-hmm. Then... What you do now is make sure that you craft your messages that showcases the benefits and stuff that differentiate you from those competitors, right? What you then start doing now is that you have an introduction message. What I would stress the person is, stop talking about you and make sure your message is asking the person if they're interested in getting their pain solved. Because a lot of people go into selling and that to me is too early. That's like if you you see a, a beautiful woman, you immediately go on to propose. Hold up, she's a psycho, bro. You didn't even ask that. Mm-hmm. You know me on the top of Frederick Street. She was by prison. She now come out of prison, dog. <laughs> you didn't ask that? So the thing is, so I'll, I'll give you an example, right? I would message somebody. Let's just say somebody interacted with my content on LinkedIn. But this is something I do. You interact with my content on LinkedIn. I think that's an indication that I could actually give you a pitch just to test it. Because if I look at that in the real world, that's you saying, hey, Jared, what you said was valuable. So I would literally say, Kevin, thanks so much for taking time to engage in my post, talking about how to optimize your LinkedIn profile and create content. Is that something you see yourself putting as a priority in 2023? Because all I want to know is interest. And again, because I don't take the surface level answer, and I'll I'll give the example for insurance as well. I literally say, if if you tell me yes, Kevin, I'll be like, oh, that's great. But Kevin, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate that interest? All right. So just before your your battery, you started to die. You're talking about all you need was a signal of interest. And I think that is really, really crucial because some people want to sell the horse and they found right away. But you just need somebody to show, hey, that's interesting. So like my thing is I also research the person. So I put a lot of context into the message of the, for the individual, right? So like I might even say, also for Kevin, for people who are in the financial sector or for people who are doing angel investing for companies, is putting out that content of value to you. So I, I like to contact what I know about the person, what I find about them into the conversation because that's how you personalize it. A lot of people don't do that. So like outreach and prospecting, I see is literally this. They'll be like, hey, hi, Kevin. My name is John. I'm calling from X and Y company. And we found your name online and we just watched you want to find out if um, you wanted to buy this product. That's literally how some people do in prospecting. Yee, yuck. Like they'll be like, hey, Kevin, um, we selling wheelchairs. I'm not paralyzed though. <laughs> yeah but you never know and and no no you have to understand your audience and more importantly once you know where to find your audience you can just start crafting a message and because it's a standardized message it makes it really easy to repeat over and over because you understand the value and the outcome you're creating i was just gonna say like 
So you mean you spoke about finding your your I don't I want to say ICP going forward because every, we are we already defined it. That's your ideal customer profile, right? Right. So you said the best way to find your ICP is to go on your competitors' pages and see who's engaging the most, right? Yeah. But I want to go a step back even. So like, how do I know what particular industry, what particular niche I should be in? No, but that's different from ICP though, because if you're trying to figure out what, what industrial niche you need to be in, that means you don't have a product or anything yet to an extent. But so let's mm. put it this way. If you do have a product or service, doing that initial research, like what we talked about earlier, like talking to somebody who might be actually using a product from a competitor to understand why they use it or what or why they need it, that could probably help you identify the specific industry to target. If it is that you're going mm. industry specific versus an individual specific. And I guess one one approach that I like to advise folks to do, especially like if they're early or whatnot, and if if they're entrepreneurs or so, uh, especially if they're in the service industry, in terms of before actually developing your product, try actually start with the problems of who you want to target, right? Always. Yeah. So I mean, and you want I mean, I give three criteria for who you want to target, right? Who we could create the most amount of value for. Who do you like working with? Who would you enjoy? What type of folks you would like working with, or you have easy access to? And who could afford to pay your premium for your product or service, right? After you identify they, after you identify those guys, then you determine, okay, what are their pain points? And from understanding their pain points, you could understand how you are uniquely positioned to provide that solution. But interview them, have a discussion with them because that's the best way to get the information. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the beautiful thing about using platforms like LinkedIn and creating content or whatnot and I learned this through my, my, my accelerator program a couple of years ago, is that out of the, your total market... The total right? adjustable market, yeah. Yeah. Only 5% of them are actively looking for a product or service to solve that problem right now. They're in latent pain, so they don't actually have yes. a need for you immediately. So like, uh, here is a great story to tell it, right? Because 5% are willing to buy the product because they have the issue now. A great guy called Brian Burns was telling the story. He says... A lot of trees in his neighborhood were overgrown. And somebody called asking about the service and a lot of people weren't interested. Then a storm hit and then one of the trees fall and damaged somebody's home. He said they couldn't even park your car on the street that week because it was just full from different tree cutting companies because nobody had the pain until so the pain became active and real. So that 95% of your market in latent pain. And that's why those are the people you actually need to interview because if you could figure out what will trigger those people to buy, you could literally multiply that message and capture a large percentage of that market. Exactly. And I guess even like to bring that example to what you do, right? So let's say, yeah, I'm, I'm a business owner. I'm here chilling right now. I'm focused on, you know, focused on serving the clients I have right now. Just busy, busy, busy doing that. I'm not really thinking about, hey, boy, let me go and try and make some new clients to have money to make in three months, four months, six months. Jared puts up a video. Hey, to get more clients now, all you have to do is this, that, that. Message me if you wanna you wanna talk more. I'm like, hmm. I don't put call to actions in my videos. I realized that too. I real I, I was just about to get into that. The best way to sell is not to sell. Yes, talk to me about the, that. Because the only thing, oh, everybody advises you to put on CTA. Wrong. A call to action. No, the only CTAs I might put is to follow me. The only CTA I put on one of my posts recently was just for LinkedIn optimization because there's a minimum amount of those I could do every month, a maximum. So I just say I have like five seats left, eight seats left, et cetera. But you don't put a call to action. What I actually do is have the person, your post content to make them realize that you could create the outcome that they're trying to get to. 
or you actually show them. Actually, if you want to know how to sell, I also people go back to this. Look at the presentation of when Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. Mm-hmm. It was people, what you showed people is something they didn't realize they needed. That's why you need to look at it at the end result. So for me, if you know the pain and all these people in latent pain, and you can actually show them, hey, I know this could potentially happen to you. And let me tell you how you're actually putting yourself in their shoes because you realize, holy crap, you're absolutely right. Because I'll give you an example. So today, I was talking to two different people today. One who was in the entertainment industry, in the carnival industry, and I was talking to Darren Jacobs, right? So Dar- I'm telling Darren, you need to post more on LinkedIn. Yeah, but the time, et cetera, thing, 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 thing. And I said, right. I said, but you know why you're not doing it? He said, why? I said, because your pipeline full. If your pipeline was empty, you're trying to be all over the place trying to get a business. So because he doesn't have that, he's in latent pain, he didn't realize it. So here's my question that I started asking him. I said, who are the type of people that you are trying to get now? And he started describing. I said, well, let me show you some of the people in my network. I was like, aren't those the type of people you're trying to get? Well, yeah. I was like, but you don't have content, so they're missing out on you. Well, yeah. I was like, but how about insurance advisors posting those so they can't get to them before you? He's like, yeah. I was like, and when you get to them, they're already taken. They're already engaged. He posted today, though. <laughs> the other, you brought that latent pain from latent to active. <laughs> because, because the thing is, what I the last thing I told him is, what's the average value, what's the average value the contract that they're trying to get from those persons? And it was like about a 60,000 API. I'm like, mm-hmm. so you don't want to... Your premium income, right? Yeah. So then the other guy now, who's in the carnival industry... He said, he said the perfect line, Jared, all my business is from word of mouth. You know, a lot of people know me in the industry. I said, great. How much people think don't know you? I love that. Because we rest on our laurels and, and we get comfortable. Yeah. You know? Because because I said, are you overbooked? No. Are you charging the premium price? No. Do people say you're affordable? Yes. Then that's a problem. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, funny thing is, funny thing is, I hope I'm not giving out too much here, but when somebody asks ask me for something and I and I quote a price, they say, okay, cool, no problem. I get vexed, you know. Dan, I tell people, I wrote a post and I tell them, tell people, tell me I'm wrong. I was like, no, I'm not wrong. Anytime somebody agrees to your price too quick, your price is too low. If you tell to 10 people and those 10 people switch and, and, and pay you immediately, your price is too low. I do not care mm-hmm. what, I don't care what industry, your price low. Talk, done. Like, let me give you the most bare bones example. I would love for KFC to continue increasing their prices by $2 every year. And by the time people stop buying a, a one-piece and fries, that's the limit that they put the price on. That's when the price is too high. We don't need, that's what we need to realize. But everybody too afraid to raise the price. But you don't understand. Your value is undervalued. You're undervalued yeah. yourself. That's what they don't realize. I love that they bring up that point. People fight. Here's the thing, that. right? <laughs> Here's the thing. People do that mostly in the service industry. They're scared to raise the price in the service industry, but people selling products, they do that all they do that all day. They do that all day. And especially like if folks travel to, to the US, to Europe or whatnot, where they see prices are just crazy. So wh- why won't you raise your prices to afford just to afford your life, even? <laughs> you know? So you see, in those cases, the reason why service providers, people who do services don't raise their price. Is because their service is they still look at their service as intangible and they haven't mapped out the process of creating that service mm. and quantifying the value of that time. Yes. Wonderful. And you said it correctly. If I do 10 of these, right? Let's just say whatever you do takes three hours. So if I do 10 of these, can I live? <laughs> like if you can't, then your price is too low. 
And yeah. I always remember this. I had a friend who used to do, she, she still does it now, Venus. Shout out to Venus and her company, Drive Style. Drive Style does defensive driving. But they do a different type of defensive driving. It's not the standard stuff. One of the particular types of defensive driving is particularly for rich people who are in high-risk situations that they're trying to get out of. So in other words, people might be following you or bandit or something. She teaches that. Okay. When she first approached me, she said, John, a lot of people say my price is too high. And all I said was, you're targeting the wrong people. You talking to any Sawatis? No. I was like, why not? I was like, at that point in time, her price was like $1,500 or $2,000 for the course, which I didn't find was expensive. So I said, if anybody says it's expensive, you're approaching the basic man on the street who the product is not for. I was like, find these Sawatis and approach them. She did it. And I remember her just messaging me saying, Jardy was right. I was like, yeah, because for them, $2,000 don't matter. I just buy a million dollar vehicle. What's $2,000? As a matter of fact, I have five children. Everybody needed driving. All them over 18. Give all them the test. Mm-hmm. It's a simple, simple thing. Like, don't undervalue your services like that. Because, and I'll give you an example. When I first was doing LinkedIn coaching, like coaching people how to use the platform, like I use it, but for their objectives, my price was 2000 It's now 3750 And if yeah. anybody queries it, I'm like, cool. I could just send you some testimonials of people who make 10 times the money. So you could doubt it any way you want. I just know there's an RI for you. If you don't like it, not a problem. I could move on because there are people who want this spot. So that's 3750 for how many sessions? That's like four to six sessions. But I'm really all right. So here's the weird thing. That's cheap, Jared. No, here's the weird thing, right? The US so six sessions. No, but here's the weird thing, right? <laughs> the price will go up. The price will go up later this year. Remember for me, I'm still testing and documenting with some of those things. And the only reason I have a charge at that price, in that training, there's no process. I don't give you steps. It's customized specifically for the individual. So yes, I should charge more, but I'm tweaking it because I will make a drastic change and the price will probably go to 6000 this year. But then it will be actually mapped out with specific things. And all those trainings are live because you know what I found out recently? A lot of people who charge for coaching don't do the actual coaching. It's recordings they send you. Mm. I was like, what? That is crazy. That is crazy. I want to pause on that um, yeah. on that LinkedIn coaching there, right? So, you know, you're right now you're charging something like five fifty four sessions. You want to get up to something like how much is six dollars? Oh, how much US? I don't feel yeah. like doing that much. Nine hundred right US, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, nine hundred US or whatever it is, right? I would love for you to, and this is for the benefits of folks who are still unsure if they should be on LinkedIn, if they should be active on LinkedIn. I love if you could give me one, maybe two, three if you like, of your success stories of clients who you've helped to optimize their LinkedIn profiles. Now, I know you have hundreds, but if you could give me some of your best stories in terms of the ROI. I'll give you recent ones, which I love, right? Okay, good. So I'll start with one of my most favorite, which is um, Pavitra Duki Poonram. She's in the insurance industry. Let's, let's, we all know they have a negative stigma on LinkedIn. She did my coaching, right? So number one, she became an MDRT in my coaching. Instant ROI. Just for... Just for this is the case for those who are not in the insurance industry, MDRT, million dollar roundtable. That is for those who underwrite over one one million dollars. Yeah, whatever local currency in business is a certain percentage. So in Trinidad okay. terms, it means that she did five hundred thousand dollars in business overall. But here's the thing: only one percent of people who do insurance worldwide actually achieve it. So she's in rare air, right? Mm-hmm. If you ever meet anybody who's top of the table or chairman of the table, they're on a different level. That is like. That's Himalayas and, and where's the other top mountain, wherever it is, yeah. 
Andy's or whoever. Yeah, whatever it is, they did. Kilimanjaro. But like, so is men like, so like Greg Manet is up there, no? Oh, Greg has qualified from that from day one, dog. From his first exactly. year in insurance, Greg has been hitting MDRT. I think he did chairman, and I think he did chairman of the table twice, Tozo, which is again highly impressive. Shout out to Greg, especially on his latest promotion. Right. So here's the thing. Congrats, Greg. Pavitra was engaging with people on LinkedIn. I gave her an exact script to use that she could tweak. It offered her to do personalized things. So here's the two things that happened to her. In 2021, because that's when we did the coaching, she reached out to somebody and they said, hey, I already have an agent, but I really love this introduction. So I'll actually forward this to six people who I know who I think actually needs insurance. Six referrals from one video message. That was a rejection. But again, it was never asked. It was never to say for a meeting. It was just to say, hey, Kevin, thanks so much for um, connecting with your network. As you see what industry I'm in, I'm just here to help people understand the benefits. You'll see a lot of that on my content. So if you have any questions, let me know. Simple, I want to sell you, but I'm just letting you know what I do. No push, right? The second person she did told her, hey, I already have an agent, but I love the message. Thanks so much. That same person messaged her. This was in July of 2021. That same person messaged her in December 31st to say, yo, my advisor just left. So you are now my advisor. Not please be my advisor, you know. You are now my advisor. My wife is also coming on board. All I remembered was the video you sent me. Interesting. You feel her, and, and like the RI, when they ask her about the RI, she's like, that don't exist. Like that paid back the first client. I have another one who's insurance, who's in the top 10 in maritime for my sales training. So let's go on now to like basic LinkedIn profile optimization. Mm-hmm. One of the things I always coach people on is to, because we have this tricky thing of trying to be humble. Listen, folks, you're going to hate when I tell you this. You always want to fight down and ball. You just need links and it's hard to know people. Well, that's the world, how the world operates. And you have to do that even more if you want to get you a jobs foreign. So one of the clients who LinkedIn profile optimized was migrating to Canada. A lot of people are. And all I told her was, find the 10 companies you want to work for. Connect with the hiring people and the, and the CEOs there and message them and tell them you're migrating, you're looking for opportunities. She messaged me to say she landed in Canada with her dream job. How much people are not doing that? Mm-hmm. A lot of people now migrating and then they're doing the job. So she landed in Canada with her job, you know. Mm-hmm. Why? Because she connected and she asked the person and she said, thank you. And I was like, my job done. Another client, this one was funny though. She reached out to me, Jared. There's much, she, and you know what I love? She's like, there's my game plan, right? I was like, cool. I love it already. This was me this year, last 2022. She's like, Jared, ready to leave my company. I want to do something new. I with them for over 15 years. Um, but I'm not leaving till November because that's when I get my bonus. No problem. High level manager. No problem. Did their resume. Did their LinkedIn profile and optimize. Call me in November. Jared, a company from Belgium just headhunted me through my LinkedIn profile. And... Offer me a position and permanent position, migrated her entire family, all the other things. Check me. I don't understand. What's the purpose of the call? I was like, you feel like I can tell you no? I was like, well, I don't understand what you're calling for. Check her. Oh, no, no. I called. They say can do my husband's LinkedIn profile. Check me. Oh, I was like, because I try to figure out, I mean, I, I, congratulations. But and she was shocked. I was like, you can't be shocked. You, you said the game plan was this. You just didn't expect it to be Belgium. Well, I see. I see why your inbound sales working because right now I get ready to hire you for my LinkedIn profile, <laughs> and I thought my LinkedIn profile was okay, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah. So anybody who doubts in it and doubts in like what the platform does and puts in itself out there, like 
And by the way, this is something I posted recently. So I'll talk about this. And this is from the selling aspects on LinkedIn. For a lot of people who don't want to, who are always fearful of selling, I want you to visualize this. You are, and this goes back to the whole later and paying conversation. You are a lifeguard at a pool or a beach. And there are people who don't know they are drowning, but you know they are, and you're watching them drown because you don't want to go and help them. That's what you're doing right now by not selling your products and services. You're watching people drown. Or worse yet, another lifeguard, your competitor, is helping them and you losing money. So you could go ahead. They're either going to die or somebody else going and save them, but you're not getting any money. That's why you have to look at it. You know, from a nice um, conscious point of view, selling is love. Selling is showing people yeah, that you care. Like, how dare you deny the world of your gift, of your skills, of your of your solutions, you know, just because you're scared. But as I said, yes, yeah. I've, I've tons of success stories on LinkedIn, which I always feel extremely happy for. By the way, my best success, one of my best success stories is that the person is one of my friends now. It was a client who ended up being a friend. She, I optimized her LinkedIn profile. And then over time, I actually found her job for international remote company that is remote worldwide. They have no physical office. And I coached just straight to where she got the job offer. Sweet. So from seeing the job advertised, sharing it, sending it out. And that's what I tell people is like, it like it sounds weird, but no offense, it's that easy. Like you just don't want to make the effort and you realize it's that easy. Honestly, like recruiters worldwide should be paying, should be paying you fees. You should look to a partner with recruiters worldwide because I know some companies, they pay referral fees for successful candidates. Oh, pause for a sec. That's all, all right. So with the exception of Humantic, mm-hmm. which we will talk about soon. I may do it for companies, but here's the thing. I collaborate a lot with people when I'm doing work. So like when I'm doing sales training for companies, it's never me alone. It's either my business partner, Lyndon, Karen Rose is in the training, Charlene Pedro is in my training, LaShawn Ramden, who's my digital media person, is in my training. I may also bring in Avalon Gomez, who's a personal branding coach. I bring people in because I like to collaborate. What is funny about it is that a lot of people, like I pay these people. I don't, it's not like a favor. I pay them because what I explain to people is that I don't do referral fees. If I refer you to somebody for business, it's because I'm telling people, you're the shit. You're the best person in this who could actually do that for them. So like, if I recommend somebody for a job, like people say, like, hey, I'll give you, I'll give you a little money if I get a job. It's like, I don't want that. I'm recommending you for the job because you're awesome. That's literally why I'm doing it. If a company, however, wants to pay a referral fee, yeah. That, no, that's what I mean. You know. I'll take company, company money. Pay your referral fee? Yeah, 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 for sure. Taking company money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Humantic <laughs> has a very nice, an amazing product, which I think goes into what we spoke about at the start. It helps you. So like, in case you didn't check it out, all Humantic does is that it helps you understand how to communicate to the people that you're reaching out to on LinkedIn. So like, after you research, you look at their profile, it will summarize you like how you should actually communicate, which is great. And I think that is super important because a lot of people are not doing those basic steps to just make the, the, the conversation great. And no offense, we're in a buyer's market. The buyer has all control. And if you're not appealing to them, excuse me, you're losing out. 100%. And of course, Humantic AI is um, this new artificial intelligence um, sales, I guess, sales and machine learning company that Jared is now an ambassador for. One of the brand ambassadors, yes. Yes. And this company is out of California, I believe it is? Yes, yeah, California. and Well, California and India. Okay. But it's a real nice company. Uh, the, the team who is involved in it is one of the reasons why I joined. Because the person who invited me is somebody who I connected with on LinkedIn. We have a lot of conversations and I've been on his podcast, Colin Mitchell. 
I think if anybody else asked me who I didn't know, I would have said no. But because of him, he's a genuine good guy and he won't back a random product. I just said, yeah, I'm on board. Let's do this. Speaking about taking companies' money and whatnot, when I did my customer problems um, interviews, right, I would have interviewed different um, companies throughout the Caribbean, right, to try and classify what are the three main problems. And I found that their three main problems were, well, one, people are management issues, so operational issues, kind of, you know, managing staff, and motivate employees and all that. Two, cash flow, man. not enough cash flow. So in other words, not enough sales. And of course, the third problem, being a symptom of one and two, or being a result of one and two, is that they need financing. But to focus on the sales, I know that you have a company called Help Me Sell. Right. Where you are, you coach um, sales teams on how to improve their sales performance and motivate their sales, te- their sales team, company sales team. And you also audit their sales processes. Can you just walk me through how these engagements work and also some one or two success stories from that as well? So process and results, yeah. I would share this one, right? Based on what I've seen with a lot of companies, half the time I walk in the meeting saying, I have no idea how you're still operating. You're operating by flukes. So like I did a initial research with a company, Discovery Call, and it was one of the funniest moments, but it was one of the saddest moments ever too at the same time. Because I'm walking through and asking them and doing my discovery. And I, I'm seeing what the problem is here. And I'm just like, right, it had nothing to do with staff management. But I'm still talking and going through the conversation. And then the red flag. So like, how are we talking here on video? Because it was a Zoom call. Every time I get a response to a question, my face keeps changing. Like in shock. And then, <laughs> this is the question that went through shock for me. It's when I said, how are y'all tracking sales? Oh, Jared, we have a WhatsApp group. Whoa. Check me. My, that's when my face changed the most. And the person said, Jared, you know, through this whole thing, your face is telling. Check me. I hope it's telling you that this is shit. Because my God, what do you mean it's on a WhatsApp group? No, well, the guy sent through the orders. Da, 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 da. And then I was like, wait, wait. So how do you know how much sales you're getting every day? How is it um, tabulated? Silence. Have you ever missed an order? Silence. They don't know. Nobody else. Guys get orders. Like, but have you ever missed an order? And by the way, they didn't sell shilling products here. It's like a million dollar order and them kind of things. It's, it's, so I was confused. Oh. But by the way, it's not a Trinidadian problem because one of the sales trainers who I follow, which is Victor Antonio, I'll say he's my virtual mentor. 60% of his business is helping companies create their sales processes because they don't have one. And it's very similar for Trinidad. Like he, he told me he was doing a, a sales process for a company that does 60 million US in business. So yeah, and the CRM is post-its. Wow. He's on a desk ciphering through post-its. So... Here's the thing I stress to people. I go through in companies, and yes, sales training is one part of it, but honestly, the sales processes is part of it. A lot of companies are running into cash management issues for two reasons. One, they're losing sales. The two, the other issue is they don't know where the sales are being lost from. So when I ask companies, companies say, Jared, we need a strategy. Check me, yeah, but you don't have data. What am I going to use to get to attack your competitor? A tank, a nuclear bomb, a buckshot, or a rubber band. What are we using? You don't know because we have no information. There's no data. All they're saying is sales slow. How long has it been? You don't know. Where is it being slow in? You don't know which specific category, which specific rep. So how you want me to help? But then they, then you get upset because what I charge you to do that discovery because I need to go and get data, you're finding it's expensive. It's not expensive. You don't know nothing about your company. You started it by flukes, and now you're just running into problems. So let's talk about the success stories now. Last year, 
a company reached out to me and I'm doubling this rate now because that was like one of my main success stories. I had to get a testimonial done too. They're in the AC industry, right? Their business was started because the previous company closed down. Cash management issues, them sort of things. But it was a three or four of them were family. And because people know them, personal brand, they were getting business. But now they reach a point where they started to realize is that they were mainly getting projects and they weren't getting in like steady business. So they're trying to figure that out. Biggest problem, which was a great opportunity, they had a CRM, but they weren't doing any follow-up. So they were just, the actual code, that was it. That was the end of the day. Great. So we built out that entire process as the first stage. And the first stage of that was, just follow up on all these quotes, please. Because we needed to follow up on the quotes for two reasons. To understand who our ideal client is. Because if you could tell the type of quotes that we're getting, we know who's coming to us. And then when we follow up with the quotes and we know who's winning, we know where our sweet spot is. So if anybody asks us for a quote that don't match it, we could almost reject it or low pay as much attention to it. Right? That company implemented the strategy. First 30 days, $100,000 in revenue. Wow. I charge them five. What's their run rate before that? I can't, I can't remember the run rate. But this is additional revenue. This is not, this is not, this is not, this is just a hundred thousand additional, right? And I only mm. charge them like five grand for the, for the strategy. Mm. In the next 30 days, they made 1.5 million. Mm. Why? Because through the follow-up and how telling them to just ask additional questions, they had a client who needed some of their stuff. So in addition to the code, they had everything that the client actually needed in-house so they were able to supply it immediately and that's how they got the business. If they didn't do the follow-up, they wouldn't have gotten it. So what we do in this year now is to review all the business that we get in to create that ID client profile. So now we will maintain that existing business and go after the business who matches that ICP that they don't have as yet. Because now I could go to a company and say, hey, Kevin, my purpose for reaching out to you today is that my AC company works with small businesses in the penal area who actually are auto mechanic shops to actually make sure and improve their air conditioning services. We have been doing it for everybody in the Debe and the Princess Town area. And we know we can help you get to that because we're able to achieve people a 50% reduction in their electricity bill. So, and I have proof. Yeah. That's what companies need to do. What I like about your, um, the standard approaches that you're teaching is data-driven, it's process-driven, and not once that you mention, okay, eye contact, Firm handshake, make sure you smell good, iron your clothes. Those you know? things are important, yeah, but uh, not as is important. Like, you know, there's also talk about there's also about how you have to be likable. I don't think like that matters as much as the person knowing they could help them. Because think about it this way, right? Again, it's a high-level example. Sure. People complain about Amazon and how they ill-treat workers, but you still order from Amazon, though. You don't like Amazon, but you order from them. If you know I can help you, it doesn't matter. You might not like a doctor, but if the doctor is the best doctor who could do your heart surgery, do you need to like him or do you need to know he could actually do the surgery, which is more important? So for me, that's what I think actually matters. Those things are important, but not as much. Like what I focus on now for clients, especially because we do calls and like how we do videos, your tone is very important. And I know that may throw you all off because you hear me speak very quickly, but when I'm doing cold calling and coaching sessions with clients, it's like radio DJ, Sunday evening voice. Oh, because tell me about your sales flow. <laughs> yeah. So like you want to have like, especially in a cold calling is a certain way you need to bring it across. So to me, that's how you have to do it. But 
as I say, shake hard on a couple of those things. I'll say slightly outdated given the world that we live in now. And I think those things don't matter as much to people before. All right. So let's quickly talk about sales as a profession. Yes. You know, you um business you got with a partner, Lyndon, Lyndon Brathett. Big up to Lyndon. My brother, my brother. Yes. So you guys put on a, a conference every year, different theme apparently. Yes. Last year's theme was revenue, R-E-V-E-N-E-W. So new revenue. Lyndon came up with that and then Ace, um, Attract, Convert, Engage. Ace was Lizelle. Nice. Who's our PR person. You know, so I'm always a sucker for a framework and I think when you say Attract, Convert, Engage, I think, all right, boom, I can remember that forever. I guess, I mean, we already spoke about sales process so we don't need to and attract converts engages very much. Um, yeah, talk about the impetus between you know creating that sale that sales conference. As you said, it's it's the only sales conference in the Caribbean. Yep, at least the only conference focused on sales, sales and driving sales. You have a lot of foreigners flying in to speak at this conference and stuff. Oh no, no, the... no, no! So let's let's rephrase that. When sales the profession was performed, let's talk about the origins. Is because Lyndon and I were always talking about sales, and then we decided to start doing the the, the LinkedIn, the Instagram lives, because it started off on Instagram and Facebook lives. Then we started to do networking events. Then LinkedIn Live became a thing, and that's how we started doing LinkedIn Live. In the first six months of starting off is when we decided in 2019 that we were going to do the conference. Okay. Right? Because and all our conferences focus on is bringing local top performers to actually talk about what they're doing. So it's practical examples. So only this last year, which was 2022, that we actually had foreigners. Our keynote speaker was a foreigner, but it was a woman, but she brought practical stuff. And all our keynote speakers have always been women, which is an interesting fact. There's a lot of women power out there. But the other one who was a foreigner was from Canada, but his dad is Trinidadian. Sean Amora. Sean Amora, dad is Trinidadian, yeah. Right, Winston is from Jamaica, Post Senator is from Jamaica, and then everybody well, else was from Trinidad. So we love the fact, and by the way, it's really hard to do to find local talent, but we love the fact that it's local people because that's the examples that people need to see. That's how they take action a lot faster. Because when they hear foreigners say to them, it sound good, but they'll be like, Yeah, that'll work for the states, that can't work down here for me. Right. So that's what we actually do. And as I say, it's something which we, we pride ourselves in and it's it's a very hard event to do every single year. So let me shout out TCJ events, um, pros and comes, which is Lizelle, Tissa Shijaka's TCJ events. They do a fantastic job of helping us with it. But our sole focus of the conference is to just help salespeople get better. It is we, like, I draw a visual of it the other day and I show Lyndon. Lyndon is similar to you. As you notice, folks, I'm talking very quickly. Lyndon speaks very calm and slow because that's just how he is. But we look at sales from very different perspectives, but it leads to the same destination every single time. Mm-hmm. Like we are very obsessed yeah. with it and we are a very dangerous combo because what we do for companies is that I am your front facer for when you're in front of the customer. Like I can knock that out of the park 10 out of 10 and Lyndon just builds out the entire backend process to make sure it runs well. Yeah, I know Lyndon is HubSpot certified and everything. Platinum. Congrats to my brother. The only person in the English-speaking Caribbean who is HubSpot Platinum certified. There's one other level after that, but there's nobody on his level right now. Nobody. Yeah. I actually want to have a conversation with Lyndon about customer relationship management on the show. I want to go deep, deep, deep into that because a lot of people, just like what you were describing earlier, are not retaining customer data and they're not... They're not um, curating it and mining it. You have to do, like, listen, like, all right, remember I told you, right, so I know 95% of my business is inbound. 
I could break down and tell you, I know for a fact, if a woman approaches me for business, that is an 80% close rate. And I mean 80% is and they close within 10 days. Where do you think that is? I have no idea. I can't figure that part out yet. But I think it's because my message is clear and I am very, very empowered for women. Like a lot of women who approach me, like it always hurts me to say this, like are sometimes very low in their confidence and ability of themselves. And I'm, I'm literally the one to pump them up. Like I tell them, listen, I am Mr. Tutia Horn. That's all I believe in. This is not a, well, you're humble. I say we don't do humble pie here. If you achieve something, you achieve it. I remember I had buff a client at the time, like straight buff, because she's explained to me what she does. Mm-hmm. And then she's saying, well, and then, you know, they always say this, I don't think this should be included on the LinkedIn profile. And when she told me what it, when she yeah. told me what it was, I'm like, you matter what? <laughs> and let me uh, let me summarize the card. I don't want to give away the company. She's the data analyst, so she does the power behind stuff. She's the head in charge of it. So, in other words, for the islands in the group, they cannot make a business decision without talking to her first. That's mm-hmm. how po- I'm like, what? She not floss in that. I'm like, what do you mean? This is not on your LinkedIn profile. Well, I don't think it's important. I was like, are you mad? I was like, <laughs> I was like, hold on, so you're telling me Antigua has plans. Crazy. They can't plan without you. And you don't think that needs to be no, don't do my that. Don't do my that. Don't do my that. <laughs> you can't do Jared that. <laughs> I get vexed one time. But again, I think it's because of, of how that history has been built up over time. I'm not sure what attracts it, but again, I'll put it to you this way. I'll tell you what I've noticed. Men are too cocky to think that they need help. Women are always humble to say, I need to get to the next level. But here's the reason why. It, the women are a lot more disadvantaged just position than men with regards to their career ladder. So they're always willing to take the risk to do the personal development. So the 5% or 10% of men who approach me for business are always top performers. So you see like Darren Jacobs, top performer. He didn't even hesitate paying money to do the coaching with me. Right? But if you ask any average performing rep, there's one of fight down and ask you like some, I would say, what is talk down questions? I remember time I do a training. Yeah. yeah, condescending. Sorry. I remember time I was doing a training. One of the guys in the training was like, Can you tell us what your qualifications are? Check me. Talk to your boss, but I spoke to him and I know what your sales are, and your sales are horrible. Mm-hmm. That was my response. Because you can't be talking to me in that manner. But to me, I think it's just because of what women have to do to succeed in the career ladder that I think makes it successful. And I could show them how to get there. And I do it pretty well. I would definitely leave you to swell head after you finish it with my LinkedIn profile optimization because I show you what your actual potential is. And a lot of them have it. Definitely. I think this is a good place to, um, you know, to, to sort of wrap the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think at this time, I just want to ask if you have, me. I know we, we covered a lot. Covered a lot. If there's anything, yeah, we covered a lot. If there's anything you could think of that we haven't covered that you really want to make sure we get out to the audience, I'll give you open mic, open forum, open platform. Yeah. All right, so let's break it down quick for everybody, right? If you are trying to sell your product or service, before you do that, and actually every year, spend time understanding what's important to your buyer. First and foremost, that will make you more comfortable to sell. Data and insight is one of the leading ways that will make you comfortable to sell, right? You do not need to be an introvert or extrovert to sell. You just need to understand what is important to your buyer and what triggers them to buy. Last point, video content has to be put out, not pictures. I used to do training for a real estate company. I stopped and follow half of them because they don't do video. I hate seeing pictures. Really? I Let me tell you how hard I am on video, right? So I'll jump this at the end. This is why I talk about how important video is. 
The only reason I've built my community on LinkedIn is that I've sent out 6,000 personalized videos to people when I connected. Yeah, I know somebody told me about your video, yeah. 6,000. Mm -hmm. And I have about a 30 to 40% response rate, which is insane when you look at what response rates are. That's why I built my community. And by the way, response rate, I've spoken to many people who said, I've seen the video, I just didn't respond. But it was impactful. So understand those, understand that ability, right? The video is one of the major things that you need to implement into your strategy. Is one of the best things that you could utilize in today's age to work for you. So please, folks, you need to have a video strategy in place if you want to succeed. It's going to build your brand on an amazing level that no one else can. And I utilize it a lot on LinkedIn. And I'm so hardcore, by the way. Like, when it's like birthdays or my anniversary or Christmas, I don't accept anything except videos. Like there's an order of importance. You either call, you send a video, voice note. I don't respond to text. Wow. But not everybody, not everybody is good at video. Not everybody has a cadence and everybody you know, looks good on video or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, like voice note is easier, it's safer. Not everybody is good on video. Like what do you say to people like that? You're going to lose. I'm not saying every single thing you do has to be video. If at least once a month, based on your business content, if you put out content every day and once a month you copy your face on video, you're not getting as much business as you deserve. Point. Yeah, you're right. I have there have been videos that I put out that where that has re- ended up in speaking engagements, where it has ended up in follow-on clients. You're right. And as, oh, and I don't you put up out... a good point there. I know we're wrapping up, but for a lot of y'all who selling your services, you're trying to get speaking engagements. Nobody's have to ask me for anything, you know, about oh, can you show us your last speaking engagement. My content on LinkedIn, they see in my style. I don't need to do anything. Remember, when people come to me, they come at the buying stage, you know. Nobody coming to say, Jared, tell me what to do, you know. Jared, I see what you do. I understand how you can help me. Let's get started. Picture content ain't doing that, folks. Video, video, video. Understand your buyer. Communicate that message in video. And you will dominate. That's my closer. Podcast World, there you have it. Help me sell with Jared Best Mitchell. Subscribe to The Value at thevalue.show slash subscribe. Leave us a voice note to be played on the next episode. Leave us a five-star review. And check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, wherever you listen to your podcast. And with that, Jared. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Love the discussion. Podcast World. Yes, man, me too. Podcast World. Cabin Studios. We are out.